Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. All right, I want you to grab your Bible. I want you to look at Acts chapter 6. And I want you to look for a moment at verse 7. Look at verse 7, just verse 7. And we're going to just focus on that for just a moment. It'll be on the screen, but open your Bible and let's look at God's Word together. It says, And the Word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now, I want you to understand what's just happening in that book of Acts, chapter 6. The church of Jesus Christ is living in such a way in the, uh, the city of Jerusalem. They're living in such a way that this is taking place. The word of God continues to increase. The number of disciples multiplied. Now, up to this point in the book of Acts, every time the church grew, it, was, it uses the term addition. So these, this many people were added to the number. But in chapter 6, verse 7, for the first time in the book of Acts, the church does not add but multiplies. Now, let's, let's think for a moment. If I were to ask you, would you like me to add uh, 100 to your bank account, or if you would like me to multiply your bank account by 100, which would you say? Multiply. That is a no-brainer, right? Now, this is the kind of church that God instituted in the book of Acts. It was the kind of church that grew exponentially, not just adding. Now, I just imagine the church in the book of Acts and how it is multiplying all around Jerusalem. All around Jerusalem. Just imagine, wouldn't you like to be a part of the kind of church that does not simply add to its number, but it multiplies its number? Hold on, time out. Where I'm from, when you're asked a question, the answer is yes or no. Or as my granddaddy said, yes. Okay? All right, so let's try that again. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a church where God is do, moving so mightily that it's multiplying day by day? Yes. I would too. I would too. Now, every time, just imagine, think about it like this, that every time we gather together, that God is showing out every time we gather. People are being drawn to Jesus 
They're choosing to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Their lives are being transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus. The church is growing and thriving, and people in the community are being served, and the community is affected by what's happening inside the church. Doesn't that sound like what God desires that we, His church, should be? You're, you're getting it. Thank you. Proud of you, church, this morning. Now, here's, here, look, do we believe that the God of the Bible is the same today as he was then? Yes, Hebrews says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Or the theological term is that God is immutable. He's immutable. He does not change. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. We sing that song. That's what we believe. Now, do we believe that God can do for our church or His church, whether it's Heartland Baptist, right over here, right on 6th Street, or Utica Baptist, or Return Baptist, or Retreat Baptist, do we believe that God can do for His church today what He did for His church then? Yes. So let me look, look, look. Do we believe? Do we live like there is that kind of hope for God's church in this day and age? That was a little slower, wasn't it? See, that's the put your money where your mouth is kind of statement. We might say it, but do we live like we believe that God is the same, that He desires to do what He did then in a different way, and that there's that kind of hope for the the churches of Jesus Christ? And our answer is probably not as strong. Now, let's just be honest. When it comes to the church, there are a lot of thoughts about the church. And, 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 and if I were to come to you and meet with you in your home and I were to say, what is your dream worship service? And let's just say there's 150 people in here today and I were to ask each one of you, um, uh, what's your opinion of what a dream church service would be like? You know how many answers I would get or opinions I'd get? 179. Because we wouldn't even agree with ourselves at sometimes. There'd be so many opinions about this is what the church ought to be, and this is what the church ought to do, and this is what worship looks like, and this is how we ought to do it, right? Now, there's so much. People inside the church will tell you what church ought to be. People outside the church will tell you what church ought to be. Have you noticed that? People aren't even affiliated with the church, have an opinion about what the church ought to be doing. There's a lot of opinions about it. And there's so much misunderstanding about the church, what it is, why it exists, how it functions. And, and because so many of us were raised in the church. Now, let's just play a game here. How many of you are raised in church? All right, that's a bunch of you. How many of you, church is a newer thing? Anybody? Okay. Few of you. Not many of you. Not many of you. But for some of us, we were raised in church. Some of you were nine months before you were born, you're in church. Amen? That's, that's some of us. 
And when we think about it, in the Bible Belt, many of you raised in the Bible Belt, we, there are years of traditions that we've got to weed through, aren't there? And, and here's what we do. We think about church and we say, well, this is how I was raised, and these are the programs that we did. And do you remember the heyday of the church back in? And it, it's a different decade, depending on who you're talking to. And we think through all of these ideas, and we go back, and we go back, and we think, and we have, therefore we have lots of traditions. And, and to push a little bit more, through the years, the church has adopted practical processes and business practices into the church in order to govern it. And those processes and practices have often caused a lot of trouble and difficulty and division. There's so much bad teaching about the church. And so my, my goal today as your pastor is that I want us to embark on a journey where we don't look to traditions or upbringing or culture or church today, but we look at the Scripture. And we look at the Scripture, and I want Seneca Baptist Church as, as much as we can to get back to being a church of the Scriptures. I tell people all the time, I want to be a traditional church. But when I say that to you, you have a, a mindset of what that means. When I say I want to be a traditional church, I want to be a traditional church. I'm, I'm pointing at my Bible here. I want to be this kind of traditional. Not your kind of traditional, my, my kind of traditional. It's not my church and it's not your church. So, let me just talk about, let me go ahead and tell you why we're going to talk about the church and what the Bible says about it. Because God desires that we become the most scriptural church that we can be. And our Lord Jesus left His Word for us. And in His Word, there is a blueprint for how He designed to build His church. And He wants us to follow that. So that we might organize the congregation and accomplish the Great Commission. And so we're going to take a journey, and we're going to take a journey to change. It's one of those words that Baptists don't like. You know two things Baptists don't like? Change and the same old thing. But we're going to embark on a journey to change our church's structure to match what God clearly reveals in the Bible. So today we're, we're embarking on that journey. And I want to point to four foundational truths from Scripture that SBC, Seneca Baptist Church, will build upon. Okay, so the first one is found in Acts chapter 6. The church is made of redeemed people. The church is made of the redeemed. Now, when Christopher was singing just a little while ago, man, that song is just an amazing song. And aren't you thankful if Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, if you have experienced the power of the gospel, the Bible says that you've been redeemed. Do you know what that word redeemed means? It means to be plucked out of one thing at a cost. 
It means that God reached down from heaven, like in the book of Exodus, and plucked the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, plucked them up out of that land, and gave them as a promised people a new land as a possession that they would inhabit, a new life that they had never had before. He plucked them out of slavery and made them free people in the Lord. This is what God has done for us through Jesus. I was not enslaved to an evil master like Pharaoh. I was enslaved to an evil master named Satan. Sin once had its grip on me, but Jesus Christ broke the chains of sin and Satan and death through His cross and empty tomb. He has redeemed me. Now, I need you to understand that he did not redeem me and he did not redeem you because he looked down from heaven and he said, that guy has a really good heart. Those people are just really good folks. And so I'm going to redeem them. No, he looked down from heaven and had pity on you and pity on me. Mercy overflowed where judgment was deserved and he gave me mercy instead of judgment. He plucked me up out of slavery, not because I deserved it, but because he knew for you and me there was no other way that we could save ourselves. He redeemed us, not because we're great, but because we were poor and pitiful. And that's good news. It's good news that I'm poor and pitiful. If you realize it, he can redeem you. And guess what? He redeems you out of slavery into a brand new life. That's good news. This is redemption. Now, I want you to recognize something. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, I want you to note something in this passage. Number one thing, first thing I want you to note is the church is made up of all different kinds of people. You've got Greeks, the, the Hellenists, and you've got the Jews. Okay, so you've got Jew and Gentile coming together to form the church. Now, did they have the same upbringing? Come on now. No. Were they both raised in the church? No. They they were not raised worshiping the same way necessarily. Now, these Jews and Gentiles alike who have come to faith in Jesus have one common thread, and it's the blood of Christ. And somehow, by God's mysterious wonder-working power of the cross, He takes people from, from different tribes and languages and peoples, and He makes them one under one banner, and it's Him. So notice that. Notice, secondly, that they're, although they're redeemed, they're not perfect. What happens? One group is overlooked by another group, and so a complaint arises, and there's... There's fighting. Notice that. Notice that. Now, do you feel the same tension that I feel when I think through that? That although I'm redeemed, I'm not perfect? Have you ever wondered to yourself, God, why can't you just save me and take these desires away from me? Save me and fix me completely. Have you ever thought that? Why do I still struggle with this? I've been following Jesus for a long time now, and why am I still struggling with this specific sin issue in my life? Just me? Thanks. I'm redeemed, but I'm not perfect. And this is why the the Bible really talks about salvation in tenses. Past tense, present tense, future tense. 
there was one moment in time where you placed your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you and God, by His grace, plucked you out of slavery and brought you into the family of God, into His kingdom. He made you a child of God in an instant overnight. That's past tense. He did that. That's what the cross is all about. But now, there is this period of time that we're living in that you and I are struggling against sin. So he saved us, past tense. Now what's he doing? He is saving us. So the first thing that he did is he saved me from the penalty of sin. Now he is saving me from the power of sin. The power of sin. He is day by day, as I walk with Jesus, he is, we call it sanctification. He is making me more like Jesus, little by little, day by day. As I draw near to God, and God draws near to me, that I begin to reflect the one that I spend time with. The one that I love. The one that I learn about. My Redeemer, my Savior, He has saved me and He is saving me. Are you with me? Does anybody feel that with me? But one day He will save you. One day He will save you. And I don't know when that day is for you. It's probably going to come for you sooner than you want it to come for you. But one day He will save you. And if you are in Christ, He will save you by coming, whether He comes for you individually or He comes back in His second coming for His church, He will come back and save many of us. But He will save you from the presence of sin. One day He will come and He will take away all of sin and all of its effects in your life and in my life. So He has saved you. He is saving you and He will save you. That's why we can say, I'm redeemed, but I'm not perfect. Or like Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, the one who began the good work in me will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So I'm thankful that He began the work in me, but He ain't done with me. Amen? He's not done with you. He's not done with our church. We are, we are redeemed, but we're not perfect. We're not perfect. And so the, the Greek word ekklesia, up on the screen, Pastor Ken shared this a couple weeks ago, means ek, out of, uh, and klesia, or it's the Greek word kaleo, which means called. So you are called out of darkness into light. Called out of slavery into sonship. You're called out of sin into righteousness. You're called out. You're called out. So this is what it means. So the first thing we need to understand is that we are not yet what Jesus desires that we would be. We are in a process. A constant, continual, ongoing process process that that it, we are not yet what he desires me as an individual to be and us as the church to be and so we need to we need to get on board with that process or as paul says in philippians he says work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it's god who works in you so god has done this work in us in our hearts and we need to constantly be working out what god has done inside of us Second thing I want you to see, and we don't really find this truth in this passage, but this truth is filled in the Scriptures. The second point that I want you to see is Jesus is the head of the church. 
Jesus is the head of the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will build my church. This is what Jesus says. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, He is the head of the body, the church. The head of it. The head is the, the one who does our thinking for us. Have you ever noticed that sometimes your body does not respond as quickly as your mind does? You ever been there? It happens to me all the time. All the time. So it is, it is the center of our thinking, of our living, is our head. But also head as in ruler. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, He might be preeminent. Preeminent. That means that God desires to be the head of our church and preeminent in our church. Why is He the head? Or I guess I should say, how does He act as the head? I want to share a scripture, or a quote with you, I mean. A quote from our Baptist Faith and Message Study Guide. And I thought this is just an incredible statement about how Christ rules His church as the head. This is what it says. Christ rules in His church through the ministry of the Word and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He exercises authority in the church by the means of New Testament principles handed down to the apostles and through them to the church. Each congregation must organize its ministry so that Christ's rule and reign are evident in its life and work. So in other words, Jesus is the head of the church. He exercises His headship and His rule through His Word and congregations uh, that, that want to have Jesus as their head must organize and, and, and minister by the principles of Scripture. Those things that Jesus has said to us here. Or... Um, the 1934 book by O.S. Wallace uh, says it this way, Christ is the head of the church. The officers of gospel churches, as clearly shown in the New Testament, are pastors and deacons. So Christ is the head, officers are pastors and deacons. So here's what I want you to see, and we're going to dive further into this passage in just a moment. But what I want you to see today is that the church is supposed to be, and I've got it on the scripture, the church is four things. Jesus ruled. Jesus ruled, its pastor led, its deacon served, and its church affirmed and built. Jesus rules it, pastors are, ought to lead it, deacons serve it, and the church affirms it and builds it. So this weekend we're going to talk about two offices of the church, pastor and deacon. What do those things do? What are those? And the second thing we're going to do is next week we're going to talk about how we as the church all have a role in seeing the Great Commission come to fruition. So let's open this text a little bit more and see what God's Word says about the purposes of deacons and pastors and the differences between them. Have you ever wondered what that is? Today we're going to see it right here. Now, let me just tell the story for a moment. So the church grew in Acts chapter 2 from 120 to over 3,000 over, overnight. I mean, it, it grew in a huge way. 
And they begin to organize themselves at the end of chapter 2 into home groups or small congregations where they met one another's needs and took care of one another and devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the, the fellowship, the prayers, and the breaking of bread. They were gathering together day by day, attending the temple together, worshiping the Lord together. And God was giving wonders and signs and miracles to be done in their midst and People all around them were having favor on the church. And God's church was doing amazing things in the book of Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts chapter 6, what we see is now the church is having a problem. So just note, have you ever looked at the church and said, it's just always got a problem. We find ourselves in good company. We find ourselves in good company. If you read the, the church or the letters of the New Testament... Every church had issues, every church had different issues, and Paul wrote letters to address those issues. And so when we have problems, we find ourselves in good company. But the problem is that one group of people is being overlooked in the daily distribution of food that's set up kind of in Acts chapter 2, and another one is being preferred. And so you've got the apostles the apostles, look at the end of verse 1. When, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now if you've got your Bible, I want you to take your, uh, your pen or highlighter and underline, circle that word distribution. Why? It'll come up in just a moment. Verse 2. And the twelve apostles, the full number of the disciples, summoned the full number of the disciples and said... It's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. In other words, the apostles said, we want to devote ourselves to the ministry of the Word, and if we give up preaching to take care of this, something's going to suffer, and the Word of God is going to suffer. And we've talked about in the weeks past that uh, the job of the church is not to feed people's bellies, it is to feed people's souls primarily. Feeding bellies is secondary. Because if we feed a belly or clothe people, we can send them to hell full of food and nice and warm. But our main job as the church is to preach and declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. That's our job. And the apostles are saying, that's what God has called us to do, is to preach the Word. And we're going to have to give up preaching the Word to serve tables. And that's the problem. It's a problem. So I want you to underline or circle the word serve in verse 2. Verse 3. Therefore, brothers, this is the solution. Pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, but we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Circle the word ministry right there. The word ministry. Now, I've told you in verse 1 to circle distribution. Verse 2, uh, the word serve. In verse 4, the word ministry. <clears throat> so, there was a problem, and the apostles were going to have to set aside the task that God had given them for a separate task. So they said, we can't do that. So we, we need to devote ourselves to this ministry and we need other people to be chosen to take this service. Verse 5, And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte. 
Verse 6, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. This is in the scriptures where we see the distinction made and kind of the institution of the office of pastor and deacon. We see them differentiated right here in this passage. There was the office of pastor whose main task was to feed people by the ministry of the word and the deacon was to feed people by the ministry of bread. Do you see that? So we see this. Now, the deacon in this passage has three purposes. Three purposes. And so if you're thinking through this passage, this is straight out of this text. So number one, there was a a disunity in the church. And so the deacon is instituted to protect the unity of the church. So why do we have deacons? Their goal is to protect unity. The second thing that the deacon does in this passage is to meet the physical needs of the church. So they protect the unity of the church. How? By meeting physical needs in the the church. This is what the deacons do. The third thing that we see is when they fulfill their job, the apostle pastor can fulfill their job, and that job is the ministry of the Word. And the result is... The word of God continued to increase. So when deacons are deaconing and when pastors are pastoring, what you see is God do something incredible. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you see it? Deacon, this is is where this word comes from or this office comes from. Now, The three words that I told you to circle in the Bible. The word distribution. The word serve in serving tables. And the word ministry that the apostles are devoting themselves to is the Greek word diakonos. What does that sound like? Deacon. Diakonos. And The Greek word diakonos literally is the the Greek word for serving tables. The role of a deacon is to be a servant of God's church. A servant of God's church. Now, we, we must admit that many of us were raised in churches or have pastored churches where we have not gotten that right. We have not gotten that right. Now, Seneca Baptist, by God's grace, has gotten that right. And many of you are deacons of Seneca Baptist Church. And and some of you are to be deacons of Seneca Baptist Church. And we can say, we're so thankful that we don't run God's church. That we serve it. We serve it. And so that is the idea. Now, let me just share with you something. Deacons were given a ministry. The ministry of the deacons was to protect the unity of the church, to meet the physical needs of the church, to undergird the word, the ministry of the word. But pastors in this same passage are also giving a, given a diaconate ministry, a service ministry. And that service is the ministry of God's word in God's church. So I need you to understand that the pastor's job, the main responsibility of the pastor's job is to feed 
God's sheep by ministering the word to them. Like Deuteronomy says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we need to have our physical needs met as a church, amen? But we need to also have our souls fed. And if we're just coming to a place where my physical needs are met, but my soul is not fed, that's not a good place for us to be members of. It's not an either or, but a both and. And that's why God, in his infinite wisdom, instituted two offices within the church, the deacon and the pastor. The deacon and the pastor. So I want to look at the pastor for just a second. When we look at the scripture, the overarching New Testament, we see three words used for the office of pastor. Three words. Pastor. We kind of get that one. That's familiar to us. One tasked with feeding, leading, and caring for the congregation. What's another word for someone who feeds, leads, and cares for a flock? What do we call that person? A shepherd. So that is, that is one of the words that the New Testament uses to describe the office of pastor. The second word is the word elder. And for most Baptists, that makes us a little queasy. But the word elder in the Old Testament and New Testament is used as one who was respected, had wisdom, and could give counsel to a group of people. So he was a counselor for the church. He helped lead the church. And the third word is the word overseer. Or in some translations, it's translated bishop. And the Greek word is episkopos, which is where we get the the name Episcopal. The word elder is the Greek word presbyteros. What does that sound like? Presbyterian. But all three of those titles are describing the same office, but what they're describing is a different function for the life of the pastor. One of the functions of the pastor is to Feed, lead, and care for the congregation made up of the believers, the redeemed. The second is an elder, one who gives wise counsel. One who, Lord, help me, one who has wisdom. And one who's respected. And the third, overseer, that that word bishop or episkopos is one who oversees the work of a group of people. And in this passage, we see those three titles lived out. There was a problem in the congregation that needed to be taken care of for the good of the congregation. And there was a group of men who took care of meeting that need. They gave wise counsel. They were respected. They had wisdom. And they led the church to a decision for the good of the church. Do you see this in here? And then the third thing that they did is they oversaw the work of the diaconate, the deacons, so that the need was met. So we see in this one passage those three titles of pastor, elder, overseer, all being carried out in this one passage. 
So let me give you a phrase. That really helps me. This phrase will be up on the screen. And it it says, deacons lead the church by serving. And pastors serve the church by leading. Deacons lead the church by serving. Pastors serve the church by leading. Every one of us in the book of 1 Corinthians has been given a spiritual gift. Not everybody is gifted the same way. And so God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, to each one has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So God has given you a gift and is to be used for the upbuilding of the church. And there are two offices within the church that He has called specific people to, specific men to, to serve in these ways. Why? For the good of the church. Is it because they're super spiritual? Lord, no. Is it because we are a higher class? Of course not. And if you want to sit with me, I can tell you all of the struggles that I have as a pastor, as a Christian. And and you'll think a lot more honestly of me if we could just sit down and have lunch and I could tell you the things that my heart struggles with. Deacons are not super spiritual uh, 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 people in the church. They're just men of God that have been redeemed and now God has allowed them to serve the church for the common good. So Ryan, why are you spending so much time? Why are you spending a whole sermon talking about pastors and deacons? Listen, it's because if we as an organization don't get the very basis of our structure right, everything else is going to be wonky. That's a Greek word, wonky. So if God, in His infinite wisdom, built His church... Said, I will build my church. And if God, in his infinite wisdom, laid out in his scriptures a way that we ought to be organized, we would be foolish not to organize as closely as we can to it. I'm challenging you, aren't I? So let me, let me take this and let me just step back from it and let me make this applicable for all of us. Because you might say, how does this apply to me? Well, first, I need you to recognize that you are in God's church only if you have recognized your need for being redeemed. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. And today, if you want to be made a part of God's kingdom, you do that by recognizing that I'm a pauper. I am poor in spirit and I need a redeemer. That I have tried and tried and tried to redeem myself to no avail and I need someone to save me from what I cannot save myself from. 
And that's the only entrance into God's church. It's not membership roles. Let me tell you, there are lots of lost people on lots of churches' membership roles. Serving. You're made a part of God's church through the redeeming work of the blood of Christ. His resurrection. Have you recognized your need for redemption? Do you understand the privilege that it is to be a part of God's church? I need you to understand it's so important to God that He shed His own blood for it. And you're a part of it. If you're redeemed, you're a part of it. But some of you are disconnected from the body because we have chosen at this point in life not to find a congregation to do life with. It is a privilege to be a part of a body of Christ, God's church, and it's so important that He died for it. And as Pastor Ken said a couple weekends ago, it is the only organization that has ever existed or institution that has ever existed that will be eternal. The third question that I want to ask you is, do you understand the church's purpose? The church does not exist to entertain God's people, but to equip them. And, and it's the illustration, again, that Pastor Ken used a few weeks ago. It's the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship. We are not a cruise ship where you pay your due and you receive all the services of the cruise ship. We are a battleship with Jesus as our captain. And we all have purposes to fulfill on the battleship that we might fulfill God's great commission together. The last question that I want to ask you is, is your life and is our church built on the foundation of Jesus and His Word? Is your life Sometimes we ask God to bless our lives or our churches when we are intentionally disobeying what He has clearly said. Does He love a person who can live, who's living in disobedience? Of course. Do saved people often live in disobedience? Yes. But do we get to experience the blessings of the Father while living in disobedience to His commands? No. And I just want to, is your life built on Jesus and His Word? And is our church? Now, you might have a thousand questions running through your brain. Pastor Ryan, i got questions. I want to know what you meant by this, and I want to talk more about that. I promise we will. And if you'll come on Wednesday night, we're going to talk about it. You can ask your questions Wednesday night. And What does this mean? We're going to talk about it. We're, we're, we've got a journey ahead of us. There are no hasty decisions being made. We've got a long 
journey in front of us. They were trying to walk with faithfulness. And you say, Ryan, I can't be there on Wednesday night. I'm serving in some other place. I eat lunch every day. Let's go to lunch. I drink more coffee than I ought to every day. Let's go grab a cup of coffee. And let's talk. I'd love to share with you these things. Would you stand with me? Some of you are like, finally. And sitting. Christopher and Miss Margaret are going to come lead us in just a closing hymn. A hymn of reflection. A hymn where we say, Lord, I want to build my life upon you, upon Jesus, upon your word. I want to do that. I want to experience the blessings of one who has built his house upon the rock. But maybe you're out there today and you don't have Jesus as your Savior. And that is the most urgent decision that you have to make. So heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room today and you say, Ryan, I, I need Jesus to save me from me. I've tried and I've tried and I can't do it. And I want to be saved. I want to be redeemed. I want to be delivered and I want to do that today. Would you slide your hand up and say, Ryan, I need to be saved. I see you. Maybe you're in here today and you say, you know, God, I've been asking you to bless me and my life just feels like a hot mess. And maybe God's saying to you, it's because you're not building your life upon the rock. Maybe God's revealed to you that there's something in your life that is not built upon what He's revealed. Let's pray. Father, speak to us now as we sing. And lead us to action. Repentance, where we confess our sins, where we trust Jesus again. And where we walk with renewed diligence to obey you. Lord, we love you and we need you. And maybe you're out there today, Father. I pray that if there's anybody here today who needs a church home, they can start the journey toward membership today. Lord, you lead them and we'll receive them. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, let's sing together.